You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Well, again, good morning. Uh, it, it is good to be back with you all. It, it is... Um, I don't I don't like not being here, even when I need to not be here. Sometimes it's necessary sometimes for a pastor to step back and just uh, allow the Lord to get some perspective and give some perspective on things. And I also needed to hear the word that Zach brought. That was a profound word. If you haven't heard it, it's not long. Go on Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to uh, music. It's there. Listen to it. Sundown Church. Check it out. It was, a pro- it was a powerful word, a profound word that Zach brought last week to, to say, not only just say yes to God, but to worship in the waiting and the unknown. And not, o- not only watch for, but to expect the restoration that he will bring. That, that is such a lesson that we need to hold on to right now, especially in Sundown, Texas. Because there are things and there are people that are leaving and it is heart-wrenching to watch them go. And we're, we are seeing this. Sarah and I are just, we're, as parents, we're just sitting here like, what do we do? And how, how do you plug your kid into to a community that is just shaking everywhere? There's just such there's such turmoil and such chaos that's happening and taking place in our world. And I think a lot of us get into this trap of thinking that it can't it can't get to sundown, Um, but it's here. It is affecting us in every facility possible. The shaking of the world is shaking in sundown, Texas. And so that word that Zach brought is profound to not only say yes and to say to say yes, as he gave testimony of to say yes before you know what you're saying yes to. In the world, you don't say yes till the request is made. You give your response. In the kingdom, you say yes before the Lord ever asks you for anything because of all that he did before he asked you for anything. Before he's asked any of us for anything, he sent his son. He made a way that he would die on the cross, that he would open up heaven and give us access, that we would be washed white as snow and restore us to the original design in the garden that we could exist in perfect and complete fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he would indwell us with his living presence before we've asked him for anything. He did that. Before he asked us to do anything, he did that. So looking at all that he's done for you, just to get you to, to stage one of this, being saved, being born again, being alive in Christ, receiving the Holy Spirit, just to get you to this point. Look at all that he did. So does he not deserve a yes from us going forward? Because has everything, everything he has done, has it not been for our good? So what does that tell us? That is his nature. It's to work things for our good. It is his nature. So to say yes is to say yes to the good things that the Father has for you and then not just simply say yes. But in the waiting before the request, before the call, before the anointing to worship. 
This, this is something we've talked about in here before, and it's something that it, it, it needs to be repeated. Um, it needs to be at the forefront of our minds all the time when we don't know what to do. Worship. The power of worship. The power of the sons and daughters of God singing praises to their king in the midst of difficulty is what will restore hope and will restore joy in this community. It's our worshiping of God. I love the story of, of, of David as, he's, as he, is, he, is, he has sinned against God. He has, had this, this, uh, he has had this child with a woman that is not his wife. And what did the Lord say? I'm going to take him from you. And so what does David do? He... he he prays and he intercedes and he fasts days and days and days for the, for, for the Lord to destroy him and save the child. And then when he finds out that the child died, what is, his, what is the first thing that he does? He goes and he worships the Lord. If he can do that, in the midst of consequences from his own actions. Not only seek the Lord for forgiveness and restoration, but then after, turn and worship the Lord in the midst of a circumstance he did not want to be in, he did not expect. And worship the Lord and pursue the Lord and seek the Lord. And not, it, there was no hesitation in it. He turned to Jesus immediately and began to worship him. And then we know what happened uh, through David, through the line of David. He was a man after God's own heart. And how I long for that to be the testimony of the people of Sundown, Texas, that we were a people after God's own heart. That no matter what was before us, our response was so predictable. Because no matter what came before us, we would turn and we would worship in spite of all circumstances. It was a powerful word. And again, it's been an interesting few weeks just sitting before the Lord and basically asking, what, what now? What, what, what are you doing, Lord? What are you, what are you doing? What are you needing from me? What are you calling me into? Am I supposed to be doing anything different? Am I supposed to... I, ha I hate that, that moment where I just don't know what is next. I know his last word. I know what he last spoke, but I'm sitting here like, Lord, there's, we, I need a little bit more. I need something else because what I'm seeing, I can't understand. And I need understanding of how, especially in this, uh, this vocation of how, okay, how do you lead a community facing what it's facing right now? And just in this place where I was so desperately needing a word to continue, to just, con just continue to keep going. And just overwhelmed by the things happening in this community and needing him to clarify things to me, adjust my sight and teach me really needing to just be taught by the Lord. And he did. He did just that. Um, so much of what I have for you today echoed in my heart as I as a word I heard from somebody else. This is a word I heard, a message I heard from someone else. And so much of this I pull from that sermon because it's so relevant. It's so profoundly relevant to where sundown is right now. And it, it totally ripped my chest wide open and exposed a lot of things in me that were unhealthy 
One of those things that I've recognized about myself, I don't mind being honest about this, but I have an expectation of people. I have an expectation of, I had an expectation of every one of you. That is not healthy. It's not healthy. It's not a bad, it, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't like bad expectations. Like, oh, I expect this person to be a turd. No, I don't expect those things. Right? I, if you're my friend, I expect you to be my friend. If you're here, I expect you to be here. It, and different things like that. And I was realizing the Lord's like, I didn't set those expectations over them. You did. I'm like, well, that's not very healthy. It's not very healthy. And in moments, it was, I'm telling you, church, there was, there was conflict each and every day uh, this week with, with people that I love. That, that were, I mean, sharpening the pitchforks. They had their torches lit and they were coming. And it's like, I don't understand this. But I realized that so much of this that was causing this grief and this heartache and this turmoil in me is because I set an expectation over them. And then when they didn't live up to the expectation that Parker determined for them, I was upset. I was heartbroken. And it's, there's a difference, is what I'm learning. There's a difference between an expectation over a person and hope for a person. I hope, I hope right now that you will receive the word that the Lord has. I hope right now that it will consume you and it will be made manifest in your daily life for the, for the rest of your days on this earth. I cannot expect that though. I expect his word not to return void. But where's the expectation lie in that? It lies on him, not on you. It's putting godly expectations on the people of God and not God himself. Because he's the one that's to bring that out in you. I'm not, right? And so this is something I've, I was dealing with and struggling with and just put me in some tricky situations and, and some sad situations. Because when you expect someone that you call a friend to be nice and to be in your corner and then they're not in your corner and they're not nice, it's like, this, this sucks. And that's what this whole week was. Was just, man, I feel real, real alone. But that loneliness was caused because of an expectation. So I'm just letting you know what the Lord is doing in me and what he's, what he's adjusting in me and things that he's teaching me about myself. The process never ends. Just because you're saved, it doesn't matter if you're 13 or if you're 75. It does not matter. The process with the Lord is never ending. It ends when you find yourself before him in glory. That's when it's over. And until you're there and none of you are there yet, you're still in process, right? We're still in process with the Lord. But the Lord is, he was teaching me about what he's actually doing right now. Um, in a sense, not, I can't tell you specifically what is happening in sundown Texas. I can only go back to this word of you can't put fresh wine in an old wineskin. And I have to think about that all the time because it does not always make sense, the things that are going out that you expected to always be here. But I have to hold to that. That's the word that he spoke. So if things are leaving, I have to believe that they're leaving because the Lord needs them gone. Not because he, they're bad for what's going on, but because may, he just needs them somewhere else. I believe that too. I don't believe the Lord is discarding people. To get out of the way so that this move of God can happen. That's not what it is. But there are pieces on the board that need to be in different places. Right? 
So that's what I see is, is going on right now. And there's just a truth that the Lord is calling us into. It's a truth that's always been. This is revelation, right? Revelation is the uncovering of something that has always been present. You just didn't know what it was. And there's a revelation for us this morning, a recognition, a significant recognition of what we're standing in and what the Lord is seeking to establish in us. And we're going to start by turning to Joshua 4. We'll be in Joshua and Judges primarily um, this morning. And we'll be in Joshua 4 and we'll start with verse 1. And we'll kind of skip around on this a little bit, um, but Zach will have it up on the on the screen. Um, but let's just read this really quick. Joshua 4 verse 1. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to, to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them what the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And now verse 15 and the Lord said to Joshua, command the priest bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest come up out of the Jordan. And when the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. And the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And these twelve, those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you to for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. This is powerful testimony. And what are they referencing? When, they, when they're talking about the, the, the Jordan being parted that they could cross with the Ark of the Covenant, has this happened before in their history? Yes, so how do you think they have the faith to step forward on dry ground in the Jordan? Because they know the story of the Lord that he worked for their fathers. They know the testimony of what God had already done. So when he called them in to do this, what, what, it was familiar. They recognized it as the Lord and they stepped into it and then they established this monument of 12 stones in Gilgal. It's powerful testimony, testimony from a previous generation that they did not see. They were not there. Joshua was not there 
When they, when they walked through the Red Sea, when, when he stuck out his staff, Moses stuck out his staff and the waters were parted and they walked through. He was not present. So a generation that he did not see spoke of testimony of what the Lord had done, a move of God that he, he had not witnessed. But he knew it. He knew it because they had shared what the Lord had done. They knew the story. Now in Judges, just a couple pages over, we'll be in Judges 3, verse 12. Ehud is, he's not in the, the scriptures for very long, but he has a pretty awesome uh, impact. It's pretty cool. Uh, verse 12, talk about Ehud. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Amorites and the Amalekites, and he went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. Shout out to lefties. The people of Israel, this is the only lefty recorded in scripture. He's pretty cool. So you and me, Shorty, we're cooler than everybody else. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud, I, I didn't write the scripture. That's just what it says. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself, Ehud himself, turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence and all the attendants went out from the presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat and Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade for he did not pull out the sword out of his belly and the dung came out. So this gets really graphic. Then Ehud went into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. So Ehud gets, gets away. This is the story. He, he assassinates this king who has been oppressing Israel for 18 years. But in, in reading this, I thought it was profound. He had, come, he had come there for a reason. Ehud was there for a reason. That's why he, he, he was being sneaky. And I'm thinking the only reason he was able to get that sword in there on his, being on his right thigh was because they knew he was a left-handed guy. So they looked for a left-handed sword and they didn't find it. And I don't know. That's just where I'm thinking. Or the guards were just lazy. I don't know. But anyways, as they're leaving, this moment clearly came to do this one thing. But the moment doesn't present itself and he's leaving. And when does he turn? When he gets to Gilgal. 
And what is so profound to me is reading in Joshua of the establishing of the 12 stones in Gilgal. Testimony of what the Lord had just done and a reminder of what he had done before. Testimony. And what was the entire purpose of those 12 stones that the Lord highlighted was so that your children will ask you why they're there and you can tell them what the Lord had done for Israel on this day. So who do you think one of those kids was? It's Ehud. He knew the story of what the Lord had done. And in that place, this is just where I'm at and I've processed it with the Lord and he hasn't said, no, you're swinging and missing. But I am kind of inferring this stuff on my own. But it's just profound to me that he would get to Gilgal, potentially see the reminder of what the Lord had done for Israel, the power of the hand of God. And that's what it says in Joshua, that all would know the power of the Lord Almighty. And then what does he do? He takes up courage, he turns, and he accomplishes that which he came to accomplish. He is charged. He is encouraged. He is set upon the story of a generation he did not see. He did not know. He was not there in the moment that they crossed the Jordan. He saw the idols near Gilgal, but what do we know? We know what Ehud, we know know that he knew what those 12 stones were for. Placed there as testimony of the power of God. He freed his people in that moment, making that decision to turn, to be brave, to trust in the power of the Lord, to trust this God that has not only parted the Red Sea, but also parted the Jordan for his people to protect him in this thing that the Lord had called him into. To free his people. And that's exactly what he did. And they lived for years in freedom. In Hebrews 11, 32, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again in a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though, commanded through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Church, heaven is not a singular experience. It is a community existing and building together over generations and generations and generations. Your yes to God doesn't just impact now, but it is felt in all of eternity. Your yes is beyond your life. 
Your yes to God is beyond your life. But we have this mentality in today's world to live for yourself, that it's your life and you only get one. We got the YOLO, we got FOMO, all these different acronyms for just being doing what you want to do when you want to do it, being present. It's your life. Live it to the fullest, all that stuff. And that's all well and good. But living for yourself is not enough in a moment of great difficulty. It's really easy to do when things are really easy. It's an impossible thing to see you through when you when you are in a moment of great difficulty to live for yourself is not enough. And we, unfortunately, church have existed together in this with this mentality. The church has existed, but church to live your life only for yourself again is to live looking through a keyhole instead of an open door. You will not even come close to the fullness of all that God has and prepared for you. If you're living for yourself, you will live a life looking through a keyhole instead of an open door. And church, we also need to recognize that we are living for a generation that we cannot see. I've shared this quote before, and it's one of my favorite quotes. But a society grows great. A society grows great. When old men plant trees, the shade of which they will never sit in. A society grows great when a generation does for another generation the benefits of which they will never get to experience for themselves. That, that is a society that is great and that exists. That is, that is scriptural. That is of the kingdom. Because we are meant to prepare and we are meant to establish and we are meant to progress this kingdom that a generation that we will not see could step into things that we did not get to see ourselves. But guess what? We are not the first to do that because we are standing upon the shoulders of a generation we do not know that has allowed us to be here today. We are standing upon the shoulders of people that living their life in obedience to the Lord have allowed us to be in this moment. I I was just thinking about this for myself personally. I was thinking of different moments in my story that have propelled me to Christ. I I don't remember the full details of it, but I was staying the night at my grandparents' house. And I did it. I was there on on a Saturday. And I wake up on Sunday and my grandfather's gone. I don't know where he's at. And I asked my grandmother where he's at. And she says, well, he's teaching his Bible study. And I don't know what it was for me, but the amount I I felt like I grew two feet. The amount of pride that I had that my grandfather was mentoring and teaching other men about the Lord. And that he wasn't going to miss it. He wasn't going to waste an opportunity. I think of a moment like that. I think of I think of moments where I watched and observed my mother worship in church that led to my freedom in worship and expressing myself no matter the cost. That I'm going to raise my hands, I'm going to dance, it does not matter, I'm going to sing as loud as I can and it's going to be God awful and we'll just trust the sound guy to keep turning it up as I keep getting louder. But I'm going to worship in complete freedom because it was modeled for me. I worship that way because of one that worshiped before me that way. 
My dad, every single morning, as long as I can remember getting up, and he had already been sitting at the table for I don't know how long, reading the Word of God, studying Scripture. He would get up before all of us and do this, and I, I would come down every morning, and he would be sitting there faithfully, studying the Scriptures. I, I remember a moment when I was, I was just getting introduced to the Holy Spirit, and I felt prompted to pray for our waiter in a restaurant. And my aunt begins to speak of obedience to the Spirit of God. And it, it, it pushed me into obedience in that moment. It encouraged me. And I'm thinking of all these moments, the, these moments that people in my life said yes to the king, and I now stand on their yes. I now stand upon their yes, and it has brought me here today. Their yes, my grandfather's yes, to just teach a Bible study, would impart in someone, a grandson down the line, and he would be a pastor of a church. His yes made these things possible. It was cool. I was at a, I was at a horse sale last weekend, uh, just helping some people out and getting rid of some horses because they're expensive. And... Um, we had unfortunately just got pushed to Sunday. That's why I missed it, because there were like 2,000 horses there. We were supposed to get done Saturday and come back, and that wasn't possible, so we weren't able to be here. But Sunday, I'm sitting in the, in the stands, and this old man sits next to me. And we start talking, and I realize he knew my grandfather. He worked on my family ranch. He got hired on that ranch the same time my grandfather got hired on that ranch. It was in my grandmother's side. He was there when they met. He had known my grandmother since she was a little kid. And he begins to talk to me and we begin to talk and reflect about legacy. And he just thinks it's cool because I'm wearing a cowboy hat and cowboy boots that there's still somebody in the family that dresses like that. But I'm sitting there thinking about the, leg the legacy that really matters. That my grandfather walked with the Lord and loved the Lord, his God was faithful in pursuit of him. And because of his yes, it established it in my mother and her siblings that would then establish it in us kids. That now I am standing upon a generation that said yes to God and now I've got little kids that will never know a day without the Spirit of God because of their yes back here. We stand, church, upon a generation that has said yes. Those that came before us in this house, just think about that. I have a picture of the first congregation of Sundown Church in Sundown, Texas, in my office. And it is profound because I don't know a single one of them. None of us, we might know, we, I, I, honestly, I don't think any of us know any of them. We may know stories about them, but none of us knew these people. But they were building a church. They established a church in Sundown, Texas. They said yes to God, planted it where the Lord had called them to plant it. And now we stand upon them today. Think about Dale and Randy, the pastors that have come before that began to introduce the Holy Spirit. Think about how much changed under Randy's time here. 
the steps he was willing to take in obedience and yes to God that would cause friends to leave. And a yes to the Lord that now we so effortlessly get to stand upon. Can you imagine this church without the Holy Spirit? No, I can't either. But guess what? It existed not long ago. But there were people that said yes to the Lord's call and now we stand upon them. We stand upon their shoulders. They're yes to the Holy Spirit. Second Timothy chapter one, verse. Hmm. I'm just going to start in verse three. Sorry, Zach. Um, I thank God whom I serve. As did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Verse 5. I am reminded, this is Paul talking to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I am reminded, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Timothy is standing upon the faith cultivated by those that came before him. He has a flame within him that someone else had lit. Church, what I desire for us to recognize in this word this morning is that there are some in here that are carrying a fire that we didn't start. And it's wonderful getting to carry this glory, but it is also a responsibility. The generation before us did not stoke into, into this flame into existence for us to just simply carry it. But there is a responsibility to build into it. That a generation that will come after us that will stand upon our shoulders will not inherit the same flame, but a bigger one. A fire that they did not start, but they get to steward and they get to carry. It is wonderful, again, getting to carry the glory of the Lord. It is wonderful getting to receive the Holy Spirit in our own lives to receive salvation. But there is a responsibility that comes with it. And it is not simply to carry it for yourself, but to work alongside the Holy Spirit for a generation you will not see and establish the kingdom of heaven in a way that you will not get to experience this side of it. But it will be for a generation that is to come. A, a responsibility to build upon that which has been laid before us that we now get to stand on, to continue to work for those whose shoulders we now stand on. This is the gospel. Jesus revealed his scars to his disciples, showing them what he went through so that they can stand where they now do. He, he brought the testimony to life. He showed them what it is that he experienced, the wounds that he experienced, and now they stand upon those wounds. We stand upon those wounds. I have no holes in my hands, in my feet. I have no scar on my side because he did. And now I stand upon that sacrifice today. So what will we do? 
We are standing upon generations that we never knew. Will we build for generations that we will never see? This is the moment that we find ourselves in church. There is a great reset that is taking place. There is a recognition in everything from the school, from our local government, from our church, from T-Ball, every entity that exists in this community. The reality of it is being seen. That we could rebuild as the Lord has intended all of these entities to exist in this community. They, they would look like him and how he desires for them to look rather than looking like us. That we could build upon the work of a previous generation to establish something for the generation we will not see that is beyond anything we could ever hope for or imagine. And recognizing this truth as well, church, I said this to beginning, but when you say yes, your yes echoes in all of eternity and we have got to stop looking at God. This God that we serve is a God of addition. If you bring one, he doesn't bring one. He is a God of multiplication. If you bring one, he brings a million. So your yes echoes far beyond anything that you could ever comprehend because God multiplies. It's the same with gifts. We talk about it with tithing all the time. It's not hard for us to get there. And I don't know how many times this church has seen that very thing happen. A little bit be given, but it was all we had to give and the Lord multiplied it tenfold. There are buildings in other countries that should not exist that were funded by this house when we didn't have the money to fund them. Just no way. I'm telling you right now, this church has almost had to financially close, I don't know, 15 times since I've been here. Not for poor stewardship. You, you steward what you're given. And sometimes not a lot is given. But lights are still the same to keep on. Right? People, we're still paying them the same. It's, we had talks. Randy and I would have talks. Uh, literally, we would talk about, hey, you might start getting a resume ready because we might not be able to pay you anymore. It's like, all right. And what has the Lord done every single time? Provided beyond, not just a little bit to continue to get by, but provided so much that we're no longer worried about how we get by. This is what the Lord does. We believe this when it comes to the finances. Why do we not believe this when it comes to my yes to him? And walking in obedience in this community right here and now. Your yes to God will multiply beyond the generations that you will see. Beyond anything that you can imagine. There will be a generation that you did not know. That will stand upon your yes. I hope that when I'm in heaven. It's not just Eden. It's not just her kids, but that I pray that one day when her grandkids come to heaven and are with me and meet me, they would know what the Lord had done in my story, even though they never knew me. And that, what the, that my obedience to God now would be that which they stood upon years and years and years down the road, years beyond my life. That my yes now 
would shape their future. And that they would be able to stand upon it and establish the kingdom of heaven beyond anything that I could have ever hoped. Because for this community to look more like the kingdom of heaven than it does a city and a state and a country, that is not a once, a one lifetime goal. That's a generational achievement. And there is a generation that is to stand upon it. And if we have to do all the work that a generation could come and inherit a land that looks more like the kingdom of heaven than it does a city and a state and a country because of the foundation that we laid, though we may not see it, but we laid the foundation that that kind of community could exist, let it be. Because we are working beyond ourselves This is not something that we are good at as humans is understanding and accepting that I am working for something greater than me. And I may only work for it and never experience the fruit of it. But this is the kingdom because I am standing upon the fruits of laborers that did not get to witness these fruits. This side of heaven, they're seeing them in heaven. We have prophets of old that prophesied of the return, the coming of Christ, the salvation that we could be reconnected to God. How many hundreds of years, thousands of years, people were put to death, hoping and praying and believing and working towards establishing this coming of Jesus. So many went before us. And they desperately desired to receive what we have on this side of heaven. They wanted to be a vessel for the Holy Spirit. They had to work. And they put in the work and they didn't get to experience that fruit. We do. We stand upon them. Are we willing to do the same work that a generation that we will not see could inherit our yes? And stand in a land of fruit, milk and honey that is beyond anything we ever saw ourselves. If that cannot be us, then we will waste away all the work that the previous generations did on our behalf. Because there are men and there are women that planted trees in sundown Texas, the shade of which they never got to experience, that we get to dwell in. This house doesn't exist without the yes of a few a long time ago. The plaque outside. A group of people said yes all those years ago to establish the kingdom of heaven that we now get to experience and enjoy today. Will that be our legacy as well? That we will work tirelessly for a generation that we will never see. Only then When we accept that, can sundown be what the Lord desires for sundown to be? It will never happen before that. We, the children of God, the people of God, the hands and feet have to say yes and accept that what I'm building is beyond me. Not get caught up in in the frustration of not seeing the fruit of it, but recognizing that what I am building goes beyond my life goes beyond my children's lives and their children's lives and their children's lives. This goes for eternity and my yes will be echoed within eternity. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, 
www.thepeopleofgodchurch.com.